Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Amen. How many love you some Jesus this morning? Yeah? Amen. It is good to have you with us today. If you are a visitor, welcome. Um, we're excited that you guys are here. We call ourselves a family, so by default, you're part of the family. Um, and so it's just good to have you guys here. Jacob, our youth pastor, uh, next generation pastor, brought an awesome word last Sunday, didn't he? He brought a great word. And um, uh, he, his, his whole sermon was on this entitled, just send it, okay? And he kind of explained what send it means. It means go all out for Jesus and just brought a great word. And there were really two things that I took from it that I wanted to address. Well, there's lots of things that I took from it, but two things that jumped out at me. Number one, Jacob said, um, uh, one thing I want to highlight, he said is uh, way back in the 90s when he wasn't born yet. And I don't know why, but I wrote that really big in my notes. <laughs> and I'm like, we have now crossed that bridge where we've got staff that weren't born yet in the 90s. So um, that's exciting, right? And then another thing that he kept highlighting over and over and over is how, do you remember how Aaron and Matt used to make me do things that I didn't want to do, like jump through walls, all right? And I just want to highlight, we've matured since then. Do I hear an amen? Okay. Um, now that I've got a middle school son and Matt's got middle school and high school, like all of a sudden our mindset is that was probably stupid. So <laughs> I don't know why, but I just want to let you know we've matured since then. All right. Um, I'm excited today uh, as we talk about something and refocus on something that we talked a little bit about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we talked about community and what it meant to be the body of Christ. And we talked about how um, as community in the body of Christ, we all have different parts. And when we function together as the body, it's a beautiful picture of the fullness of Jesus. And so I got to this place um, that I didn't get to talk about something that I want to readdress today. It comes from that 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, you'll see it up here on the screen. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 12. And it says, just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts are from one body, so it is with Christ. And so we talked about what it looks like to be the body of Christ and that each one of us functions a little bit differently, but that's the beautiful picture of the body of Christ. He says in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And so we focus that there's, if you're in Christ, if you've come into Jesus, that you are a part of his body and that you have a role to play. And so we worked through that and, and all was good and kind of we rallied with that. If you missed that, that sermon is online as well. You can go and re-listen to that. But one of the parts that we did not get to that I wanted to focus on, in, and it comes from verse 18 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, is it says this, but our bodies have many parts and God has put, God has put each part just where he, somebody say he, wants it. God has put each part just where he wants it. And so um, today I want to focus on this profound scripture, this profound word that I think we maybe missed out on a little bit um, getting to just because we ran out of time. But I think that a lot of us struggle with in this room and uh, I, I don't want to miss out on that. And so maybe the biggest hindrance to being the body of Christ is the lack of understanding that God made, that God purposed you, that God planned for you to be you and to live out the life of Jesus in him, amen? 
that, that maybe what hinders us the most in this room, I'm going to read that again, that maybe it, that what hinders us the most of being the body of Christ is this lack of understanding that God made, that God purposed you, that God planned for you to be you and live out him. And, and I want to I say this is a big deal. And I want to tell you why this is a big deal. Because the enemy knows this. And that's why he spends so much time trying to get us to compare and trying to get us to not be content in life. So his whole goal, the devil's whole goal is that he understands that you and I struggle with this lack of understanding that we have been created, that we have a certain task, that we have gifts, that we've got purpose. And so what he wants to do is strip that away from us by getting us to compare with the other parts of the body that maybe mine isn't good enough, that maybe I don't look good enough, maybe I don't do things good enough, maybe that plan is not good enough. And so this is a tendency that wars against our very life, that we want to be somebody else, that we want to do something else, that we want to live a different life. And I'm wondering if maybe this is so prevalent in our day and age that it's stopping us from moving forward in our purposes. Amen, church? I'm just wondering if this is so prevalent. Maybe it's stopping us. If you kind of feel stuck, maybe the stuck issue that you have in your life is that you're struggling with comparison and contentment. And so what I want to do is I believe those two words are hand in hand. So today I'm going to just focus on comparison, uh, part one. Next week we're going to focus on contentment. But those two words are so defining in the life of a believer. Comparison and contentment. And I'm wondering if we can begin to work through that if you and I as the body of Christ might actually go a little bit forward in our purposes in Jesus. Amen? And so I want to um, just share real quick why this is important to me. Um, we breed <laughs> In our culture, we, we breed this identity of comparison, don't we? In our culture, comparison is an issue every single place that we go. In fact, every commercial that we market in culture, everything that we market is that you can be a better version of yourself. Everything that we teach is that you can be a better version of yourself. And if you don't like yourself, then just be like somebody else. In fact, that's why we hire movie stars and, and pop icons and recognizable people to sell clothes and to sell merchandise and to sell products. Because if I can be just a little bit more like fill in the blank, I'll be better. I was reading an article the other day where, um, is it Ariana Grande? Did I say that right? Yeah? Uh, okay, so some, some clothing company decided to basically market her without her knowing about it. So they hired this model that looked exactly like her, dressed her up exactly like her, and they're trying to sell clothes like that because they know in their minds if they market to these young females that this is what you'll look like if you buy our clothes, that maybe they'll get in there and buy the clothes. Well, Ariana Grande found out that they were using her likeness and they were using something that looked just like her, and so she's suing them. Because she understands that for her as a pop icon, that all of these girls are going to line up to say, I want to be just like her. You guys see what I'm talking about? And we do this. This is how we market. We're taught to emulate and imitate people. This is what we're ingrained to do. We're taught to, to emulate and, and imitate people. I've told you a hundred times growing up, Zach Morris was my guy, right? 
I'm just saying, Saved by the Bell. I've asked this a thousand times, Saved by the Bell. Who loved that show? All right, okay. So I wanted to be like him. And then I remember I went through this phase of going, Christian Slater's the man, all right? He slicked his hair back. I even got an earring when one earring was cool, okay? Not two. Like, I remember, like, these, these, these icons that I wanted to be like. I remember begging my mom and dad, begging them, would you please legally change my name to Maverick, all right? When Top Gun was it, amen? Tell me you didn't, did anybody want to name their kid Maverick? Anybody name their kid Maverick? Because that's like the coolest, I'm just saying. I mean, I remember this phase of going through and just thinking in my life, man, I want to be, I want to be like these guys. I want to, to, to dress like these guys. And, and then it's not just the pop icons either. We all have those people in our life, and maybe it's not just somebody famous that we compare ourselves to. Maybe it's your neighbor, maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's that person who comes in, that brother-in-law or sister-in-law, and you're just like, oh, they just feel like they have it all together. The guy that I wanted to be like was this kid that moved in. I'll never forget it, man. He moved in in sixth grade. His name was Donnie, right? And Donnie was from the big city, Salina, all right? I was from Abilene. Donnie was from, from Salina, and he wore his hat backwards. It was really cool. He had these, you know, the pump, you guys remember the pump sneakers? And I'm like, man, I got to be like Donnie. And my parents are like, we are not buying you the pump sneakers. And I remember just setting up in my mind, more, if I could just be like, it, the girls just swooned over him. If I could just be like Donnie, I've made it, right? And you guys know who, who your person is, your Donnie was, or whoever that may be. Nobody's immune to this. Even as I've grown, I'm still not immune to it. Even as I've become a pastor, I find myself even more so sometimes comparing myself to others going, Stephen Furtick, Elevation Church, oh, that guy, right? In my mind, I'm like, oh, who is that guy? And I'm just going to tell you, he's awesome, all right? But I'm just saying, like, I compare and going, man, this guy's just got it. He's just got it. And I find myself just comparing myself to all of these other people going, man, I'm not polished. Man, I don't know all the Greek words in scripture. I don't sit at a tabletop and talk Greek words. Most of the time, I'm worried that I made up a bunch of words, amen? <laughs> and I have people out there that are like, you made up a word all the time, just so you know. And so I find myself, even as I've grown up and grown older, that we continually do this thing. A couple of years ago, we went to a conference, a gateway conference. It's a gateway church down in Dallas, mega church, I don't know, 25, 35,000 people. This building was just insane and phenomenal, right? And this guy named Judah Smith, he was, he was teaching and, and he was so funny because he said, he, he got up and it's filled with pastors and leaders and we've just sung about how much we love God and it's all for his glory and, and everybody's like, he's like, go around, give everybody a hug and everybody's like hugging, hey brother, hey sister in Christ and then he starts into this thing and he goes, now, he goes, I wanna just be honest with you, you know that every single one of you are sizing each other up in this room right now. Right, you got 10,000, everybody sized one another. And he just told this funny story how the minute that we walked into this amazing church called Gateway, everybody's just like, I just don't know that those lights are biblical, right? Right? I mean, who would spend all of this money when there are orphans, <laughs> you know? And he talked about how all of the sudden, like we began to compare ourselves with, with, with these other pastors and believers. And the way that we compare ourselves is we just try to bring them down. We try to make, make it to where they're not biblical so that we can somehow elevate ourselves. You guys know what I'm talking about? Comparison 
is a huge deal in our lives and we all deal with it. Every single person in here deals with comparison in one shape, form or another. And so today, if we could just come into this place of understanding of who we are, come to a place of understanding of of loving who God made me to be and the gifts that he gave me and the personhood of who I am, we would see a whole lot of people living out their fulfillment and their purpose. There's a war for your identity. It's It's just a war. There's a war for your identity to compare who you are to some other standard than who Jesus called you to be. And I want to attack that war today so that we can begin to move as far away from that as we possibly can. And to start, really I want you to know it's just a heart matter. To start, I want you to hear that the heart in every single person reveals a comparison nature that is in us. How do I know that? Because we see this play out all through scripture. There is a comparison nature from our sin nature that's within us. You see it with Cain and Abel. Abel, Cain compared himself with Abel, didn't like that Abel was getting all the clout from God, so he just kills his brother. We see it from Esau and Jacob. Jacob sees that Esau, he's the firstborn and he's gonna get all the rights and you know, his, his father has this tendency to love him because he's this great hunter, so Jacob steals his brother's birthright. We, we, we see it in Joseph and his brothers. Joseph's brothers are so ticked off that his father loves Joseph, they throw him in a well and they sell him into slavery. Now God used all of those, didn't he? God used every single one of those plants, but it reveals a nature inside of our heart of going, I just simply compare myself to other people. And so in that revealing nature of comparison, we also see it in the New Testament with Peter and John. Peter, in this moment, in John chapter 21, Peter's just been reinstated by Jesus. He denied Jesus three times. Jesus resurrects from the grave. He finds Peter. They have breakfast together. Jesus, this one, Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? And the third time, Peter's hurt. He says, Jesus, you know that I love you. And so Jesus just reinstates Peter. He's having this love moment with Peter. And then this is what I picture. He says, Peter, get up with me for a minute. He puts his arm around him and he's walking down and we pick up in John 21, 18. And this is what Jesus says to Peter. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. I want you to note this church. So he tells him what's going to happen to him. He basically gives him an an eye shot into his future of how he's going to die. And then he said to him, follow me. This was Peter's first response. He's just reinstated the love that Jesus has just poured out to him. Jesus says, here's how you essentially, this is what's going to happen to you. Follow me. And here's what Peter says in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, who's John, was following them. When Peter saw him, he says, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Now, let me tell you why this is such an important scripture verse for us today. Because he's essentially telling Peter what his future is going to be and how he's going to die. And and I just, I picture this moment real quick. This is a little bit morbid because he's basically saying, look, Peter, you're going to die horrifically, okay? Peter's like, Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for telling me that. And the first thing that Peter does 
is telling of the nature of his heart inside of him. He looks over at John almost like a rivalry. Jesus has just reinstated him, locked into him, told him how much he loves. Peter's just denied him three times. Jesus seeks him out. And Peter, after hearing the purpose and the plan of his life, looks over at John like a rivalry and says, what about that guy? If I've got to extend my hands out and be crucified, because he knows the nature in which Jesus is talking about, he's like, so what about that guy? How's he going to die? Can you tell him how horrifically he's going to die? And all of a sudden what we see is we see this battle inside of Peter's heart. Jesus just reinstated you, man. Jesus just came to you and said he loved you. And he said, this is what you need to do. Follow me. And Peter, this battle of comparison comes up with him. And Jesus is going, just follow me. And Peter's like, yeah, well, what about that guy? Is he going to do it? And Peter's like, no, I don't care about him. I'm talking to you. Will you follow me? Don't compare yourself to him. No one else can fulfill what I'm asking you to do, Peter. No one else is going to take the purpose in which I instituted in you, Peter. And he says, follow me. Not follow him following me. Follow me. This is what we're talking about when we say comparison is a big deal. Comparison is a big deal that can keep you from walking in the fullness that God has for your life and the purpose that he has in you. Peter gets this picture of how he will glorify Jesus. One day you will extend your hand out. Somebody will lead you where you don't want to go and it will glorify me because you're walking in your purpose. And he wants to know if John's going to have the same purpose. Comparison, church, listen to me in this. Comparison will kill your joy and steal your gratitude for Jesus. Comparison will steal the joy that you have for the Lord and it will steal and kill the gratitude that you have for Jesus. It gets you to question and grumble. It gets you to say those things like, well, 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 why her or him and not me? Or why me and not her or him? It gets us to begin to take our focus off of the king of kings and put it on one another. It even has the ability to turn our jealousy into judgment. Well, no one can really be that pretty. They've had plastic surgery, right? Comparison provokes our heart. It provokes our heart to tear down other people's gifts in order to puff ourselves up, does it not? It's rooted, comparison, this is why this is a big deal. I want you to hear this. Comparison is rooted in a little bit of pride. And here's why. Pride wants glory for self and sees that others not, sees others not as necessarily part of Christ's body carrying out their callings and purposes, but more of a threat to our self-glory. It's more of a threat to my glory of self. When pride rules, comparison, jealousy, and selfish ambition are the result. When pride comes in, here's how we know that comparison is rooted in pride. Because when when comparison comes in, here's what happens. Then pride rises up and jealousy and selfish ambition are the result. James tells us this in James 3.16. For where you have envy, somebody say envy. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. So if you're like, yeah, I mean, sometimes I compare myself. I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's a huge deal. 
Comparison has pride rooted in it. And where you find envy and selfish ambition, you find disorder in every evil practice. The enemy wants you to compare yourself to others. The enemy wants you to get your mindset off of this identity that God created you the way you are right now with purposes and giftings. And so as we work through the rest of this today, I want you to understand, church, that comparison is killing the body of Christ. Jesus, again, in 1 Corinthians, talked about that we all play a specific role in the body of Christ, that some are hands, you remember that? Some are feet, some are arms, some are legs, all of these kinds of things. And if you think about it in those moments and you think about that we all are part of the body of Christ, my arm doesn't envy my leg. My arm could care less about my leg, right? In terms of going, oh, you look so much better than me. My eyes don't envy my ears. Oh, you're so beautiful ears, I wish I was an ear. We each part of our body knows that it was created for a function. And comparison comes in and it starts to get us to a place of going, I wish I wasn't an ear, I'm not beautiful enough. And so you need to hear this today. You make you great. (laughs) You make a great you because God anoints you to be you. Not to be them, but to be you. And so as we look at that revealing nature of our heart and why comparison is such a big deal, it's because it's rooted in this bit of pride and with pride, selfish ambition, all these things come in and that brings every kind of evil practice, scripture says. Now, I want you to hear this. Part of the issue is the places that we look for affirmation, amen? So the big issue with comparison is that we look for affirmation from the wrong places. Let me share this real quickly. One of the biggest challenges when it comes to comparison is we find our value, we find our purpose, we find our worth from the wrong sources, amen? We just do. It's a culture we live in. We seek out our value, our worth, and our purpose from the wrong sources. We look to people and we look to social media. Come on. We look to people and we scroll Facebook. We look to people, Instagram pops up. We look to people, and we, we look to social media to be there. Um, there's a, a guy, a sociologist by the name of Dale Partridge. Listen to this quote. He's a sociologist. He's studied this for years and years. He says, we're at the point now where our mobile phones have become mirrors by which it tells us our reflection of what we are worth against other people. I'll read that again. We're at the point now where our mobile phones have become mirrors by which it tells us our reflection of what we are worth against other people. We echo the words of the queen in Snow White, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? But instead we say, mirror, mirror on Facebook, tell me how my life should look. Or mirror, mirror on Instagram, tell me who I really am. So social media, church, is this dangerous platform where we get this self-elevation at or we think that we need the self-elevation at. Comparison then comes then in the form of false perceptions. We look at Instagram, we look at Facebook, we have this false perception. Well, man, they've got it all together. Then we struggle with our own identity not being firmly rooted in Jesus. We look at Instagram trying to find worth. We look at Facebook trying to find some kind of comparison that says, look, I'm just as good. I'm just as pretty. 
I'm just as popular. I'm just as important. And so instead of that, what we're really saying is, it doesn't matter what you say about me, Jesus. I need to know what they say about me. Peter, Jesus' arm is around Peter. I picture it. And he's going, Peter, this is what you're going to do for me. And Peter goes, I don't care what I'm going to do for you. What about John? What's he got to do? So it's a big deal. It's a big deal in, in this moment of going, man, what does this false perception bring into my life? And so when we struggle with our identity and not being firmly rooted in Jesus, we'll begin having a false perception that everyone else has a great life but us. I mean, look how happy they are on Facebook, right? And then you didn't realize that the picture before that, had they snapped it, was them fighting as a family, right? You guys have done family photos before. But we have this false perception that it's all put together. What we fail to realize, church, is these false perceptions are keeping us from walking and moving in our own purpose, in our own position. These false perceptions are just simply keeping us here because I, everybody else's life is better. Everybody else is more beautiful than me. Everybody else has got better this. Everybody else's life is this. And so instead of moving forward in our own purpose, in our own position, we're just simply looking around what everybody else has, but we don't. Comparison then, you could say, is a form of idolization. So again, it's rooted in pride and now it's got a form of idolization where it takes our eyes off of Jesus and desires the person that we're setting above ourselves. Jesus says that an idol is anything that we place above him, right? Anything, mindset, an attitude, a person, a thing, a value, anything that we place above Jesus is an idol. And so here we are saying, Jesus, I know what you say about me. I know you say I'm loved. I know you say that I'm, I'm created in your image. I know, I know you say that, that, that I was, before I was even knit together, you thought of me. All that stuff's great, yeah, 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 yeah. But really what I wanna do is I wanna look like Brad Pitt, okay? That's what I really want. And so what we're saying in that moment is that comparison is this form of idolization that says, Jesus, I know you're good, but I'm going to take my eyes off of you and I'm going to elevate somebody else that I want to try to attain or be, be like, in essence saying, good try, God, I just think you missed it. You made that person better. You gave that person, how about this? You gave that person a better purpose than you gave me. And although most of us realize this and we go, yeah, yeah, I'm like, I get it. We're not supposed to do that. Um, we're, we're not at a place where we're going, man, I, I'm going to move away from that. Because somehow it feeds our soul that, that maybe, maybe I could be that way. Maybe I could look that way. Maybe I could have that purpose. And so what we do is we look for affirmation in the wrong places and we use others as our measuring stick. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. When, we measure when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. I like how the NLT says it. But they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. You're created in the image of God, but you want to look like somebody else. You were given purpose from the God of the universe, but you want somebody else's plan. Paul says, how ignorant. Paul says, when you compare, you are without wisdom and understanding. I love this quote that I read. It says, comparison has a pull to it. If allowed to, comparison will always move you away from your truest center of who you are. 
Like you'll, if minute comparison comes in, you're going to be moved out of that center of Jesus one way or the other. Comparison has a pull to it. If allowed, it will always move you away from your truest center. I love that. We wonder why sometimes we don't feel centered in our life. We don't feel like we're centered in Christ. It might be because we're being pulled by, the, by comparison in our life. So our heart reveals a lot for sure. And I want to make sure that, that to clarify this. It's not just a struggle with what we look like. I'm not just talking about looks and, and those kinds of things. I, I truly believe it's a spiritual battle in our hearts of how we see ourselves, how we measure ourselves. And our heart reveals a lot about this. Um, let me share with you a guy named Saul. You guys know Saul in the Bible? It wasn't about Saul's looks. It was about his attitude. L- listen to this. Saul was king over Israel. So, so when God uh, uh, appointed a king over Israel, um, Saul was the first one. Later on, he would appoint David, but Saul was the first one appointed. And here's how the Bible describes Saul in 1 Samuel 9, 2. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as he could, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, okay? He was the Donnie of Israel, all right? As handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. It was like throwing salt on the wound. Oh, and he was tall, right? I find that offensive as a short guy. I'm throwing that out to you. So here's Saul, handsome, tall Saul, right? If he were to walk in here today, all the ladies would be like, hmm, there's Saul. I mean, this is how this guy was. But look at something that's revealing about Saul's heart. When he disobeyed God and he tried to find favor in the eyes of the people instead of favor in the eyes of God, this tall, handsome guy that was better looking than anybody in all of Israel, we hear about this in 1 Samuel 15, 17. The prophet Samuel comes to him and says, though you were little in your own eyes. Somebody underline that. Though you were little in your own eyes, other translations say, though you were small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Here's this guy with stature and he's handsome and everybody, again, swoons when he walks in the room and says, oh, there's Saul. He's a head taller than everybody. He's the most handsome guy in the entire place. But something in Saul's heart said, I'm not worth it. I've got I've to get the people to like me. I've got to get the people to like me. And so here is something revealing. He saw himself as small. He saw himself as insignificant in his own eyes. It doesn't say in everybody else's eyes. It doesn't say in the Lord's eyes. Saul, in his own eyes, dealt with an issue of comparison where he did not see that he measured up. Let me tell you why this is important. This reveals something about Saul and what he saw in himself. Saul had a measuring stick that he used and that he lived by. That he did not measure up, so he saw himself as small in his own eyes. Even though everybody else saw something different, it was his measuring stick. It wasn't God's measuring stick. God's the one who selected and anointed him. But he used his own measuring stick stick that said, I don't measure up, and that ended up becoming his downfall. God anointed him as king, gave him position, gave him purpose, and Saul looked around and said, I just want to be, I just want to be liked by everybody else. It wasn't good enough for him. How he viewed himself marked his life. 
Listen, church, this is the root of this. How he viewed himself marked his life. How do you view yourself? Where he could never truly see who God designed him to be, his view was that he was small in his own eyes. He lived comparing himself using his measuring stick to everyone else. Let me just ask you a very candid question this morning. What measuring stick do you see yourself in in regards to the body of Christ? Do you measure up? Do you think that everybody in this room is better than you? Do you think that there are people in here that have a better purpose than you have? Do you think that somebody else was created a little bit more in the image of God than you were? Because if you believe any of those things, it's a lie from the pit of hell. God has positioned you and purposed you and created you and formed you into who you are right now. And if we would rise up in that, we would see the body of Christ become the army that scripture talks about. So what measuring stick do you see yourself in in the body of Christ? When we stand before the Lord, I want you to hear this, someday we're gonna stand before the Lord and he's not gonna measure you by saying things like, Aaron, why didn't you act more like Matt, Ryan, and Jacob? Praise the Lord, amen? He's going to measure you by who he called you to be. That's the measurement in which the Lord is gonna see you through. He's gonna measure by, by who he called you to be. Christ in you, the hope of glory, amen? He's gonna measure you by who he called you to be in Jesus Christ. Listen, our true measurement of success is different in our eyes than it is in the Lord's eyes. Success to God goes along with the word faithfulness. Somebody say faithfulness. Our truest measure of success will not be were you an influencer on Instagram. Praise Jesus. I'm telling you right now, nobody is going to measure your success and go, man, you are in, when you stand before the Lord, God's not gonna go, you really influence people on Instagram. Those quotes that you drop, those pictures, those self, there's, nobody's gonna be measured in heaven by that, amen? Your truest measure of success is a day that is coming where you'll stand before God and these words will tell us of our success. Well done. My good, somebody say it, and faithful. Somebody say faithful. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let me tell you why that's so important. It comes from a parable in Matthew chapter 25, 14 where God has entrusted these three men with certain treasures. He gives a little bit more to the first guy, a little bit less to the second guy, and even a little bit less to the third guy, but he has the same expectation for all three of them. Take what I've given you and do something with it. I've given you purpose, and I've given you value, and I've given you a plan, and I've given this to you. Now go and take what I've given you and do something with it. First guy comes back, and he's multiplied it. And Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter the kingdom. Second guy comes back, and he's multiplied it. Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he, and he entered the kingdom. Third guy comes back and says, I knew you were harsh. I buried it. So I'm just gonna give back to you what you gave me. And he says, have this wicked man thrown out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's why, because he didn't see enough value in himself to actually do something with the gifts and the plans that God gave him. Church, this is so important because at the end of the day, 
the expectation that God has on all of us is, I've given you our image. I've poured out my plans and purposes. I've given you giftings, grace giftings in this room. What are you doing with those? And comparison, living in comparison, keeps us in a place where instead of using, seeing, being what God has purposed you to be, we long for what everyone else has, or we long to look how everyone else looks. Michael Miller, Upper Room, shared this. And he said this word about faithfulness. Being faithful, being faithful is me being faithful to becoming, knowing, and understanding who God created me to be. Read that one more time. Being faithful is me being faithful to becoming, knowing, and understanding who God created me to be. Not independent me, but who he designed me to be. Not in my eyes, as Saul was, but who he created me to be. Amen? So if you're out there this morning and you're saying, well, what does that look like, man? Like, I, comparison. I struggle with comparison, and it is absolute battle for me. Can I borrow you two real quick? Will you guys come up here for just a minute? Okay. Doug, Doug DeVee, can you come up here for just a minute, brother? I was watching a guy, and he, he shared a really cool illustration that he called the gap. And here's, here's what he says, okay? I'll put you right here, Joey. Come here, Kayla. I'll put you right here. Stay right there, okay? Doug, I'm gonna put you way back here. <laughs> but, but it's because we love you, all right? And he says, here's the problem when it comes to comparison. He says, this is where you're at right here. Turn this way right here. This is where you wanna be. You're always looking at the person in front of you and comparison lives in this gap right here. This is where you're longing for their treasures. You're longing for their looks. You're longing for what they have. You're longing for their purposes. And so in this gap right here, where you're at right now, you're comparing yourself, saying, if I could just, man, if I was just, if our family was just, if our marriage was just, if I could just find the right person, if I could just, if I could just, and I'm comparing my life to what I see in front of me, not to who God is, but to what I see in front of me. And so he gave this great illustration. He says, if comparison lives right here, we have to remember, if we're going to break this, we've got to remember the grace of God lives right here. Because this is where you came from. And if you want to break comparison, all you need to do is turn back and remember where God brought you from. And then all of a sudden, this doesn't look so important anymore. I was once broken. I was once in need. I was once dying inside of myself. There was a time I didn't know if I want to wake up and live. I remember tragedy. I remember heartache. I remember these things. And God, each day, step by step by step, got me to this place right here where I can breathe in him. I can find my being in him. Am I where I fully want to be someday? No, God is, has process in my life right now. Amen? I'm in process. He's not done. Praise the Lord. I'm not done yet. There's things that I still got to do, but if I keep my eyes on the person in front of me, I'm going to miss out on what God wants me to do. So I'm going to remember from where I came from and where the grace of God was at in my life to bring me where I'm at today. And then this comparison thing means nothing to me anymore because I know that God wants me to supersede this gap because he's got a bigger plan for me. Can you guys give him a hand? Thank you guys very much. He's a, <laughs> yeah, we can't keep our eyes on Cowboys fans. That's amen. <laughs> so that's why you were at the front? Okay, here we go. We're going to spiritualize this bad boy. Let me, let me just close out with something practical then. So how, how then, how do we get our eyes out of this gap and remember the faithfulness of God? 
the goodness of God. How, to remember the, how do we remember the grace of God? Let me, let me just say this. If comparison leaves you empty, then feed on the promises of God that leave you full. If comparison leaves you empty, then feed on the promises of God that will leave you full. Listen, develop the habit of speaking promises over your identity. I want, you to, I want you to hear that again. Develop the habit of speaking the promises of God over your identity. Make yourself put into words. Be specific, okay? Make yourself put into words and be specific. Don't just accept this, I don't do anything well. I'm not as good as. I could tell you 10 things that are why I'm not pretty. Maybe one thing, but I'd really have to dig for that. Don't do that. Put into words how God has created you and formed you and made you and purposed you and gave you identity. Name what it is that you're good at. Name what it is that God speaks over your life. And I've got a few of them for you if you don't know what those are. Number one, Jesus chose you and appointed you. John 5, 16, 15, 16. You did not choose me, Jesus says, I chose you. So if you're out there today and you're like, nobody would choose me. I've got deep wounds. Nobody chose me in life. Nobody chose me when I was a kid. Nobody chose me when I But let me tell you, the God of the universe chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you. Not only were you chosen, he appointed you to be you. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that wherever you ask, whatever you ask in the name of the Father, it will be given to you. Number two, God made you to be you. I love this. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Somebody say, I am what I am. Now turn to the person sitting beside you and say, I am what I am. Somebody need to hear that today. Amen. Number three, God will always provide sufficient grace for you. Some of you in here going, man, but I'm just so weak. I'm just so weak. Let's speak to that. 1 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Number four, God looks at the heart, not outward impressiveness. 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Number five, God will finish what he began in you. God will finish what he began in you. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You're in process. Will you guys do me a favor? Will you guys stand up today? Will you guys close your eyes? The Bible talks about the eyes of our, of our life in different ways. The physical eyes, what we see, but it also talks about the eyes of our heart. Today I'm going to pray over the eyes of your heart, that the eyes of your heart would be opened to see who you are in Christ Jesus. Because I believe that today if you can see who you are in Christ Jesus, it will change everything in your life. So. I'm going to pray this over you. Prayer team's going to come up on the sides. And if you need to go a little deeper, we've got some time. If, you, if you've got wounds that you need to work through, if you've got some comparison issues and you know in your heart of hearts that you need some help in there, I'm going to invite you to come to the prayer team. Just let them pray over you that your eyes will be opened. This is a big deal. 
you want the game changer in your life, this is a big deal. So let's pray this. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we're not looking for physical eyes to be open right now. We're looking for the eyes of our heart to be open. God, we want to see what you see. We want to see what you see. Oh, Jesus, that we would see the reflection when we look down, that reflection is you, Jesus Christ, in our life. That the image of the God of the universe is in us. That the purposes of the God of the universe is in us. That the anointing of the God of the universe is over us. And that, Jesus, you've lavished your love and gifts on us. For the person in this room that says, I'm not worth it. For the person in this room that says, I'll never be as good as. For the person in this room that says, God can never use me. We break that lie in the name of Jesus. And we speak right now that your body is coming together and understanding that it's beautiful and we don't have to fight with one another because you've positioned us all exactly where you want us. Open the eyes of our heart, Jesus, to see what you see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.